Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. you are thankful for the resurrected Christ today. Amen. Welcome to Epiphany's Fellowship's first Sunday morning gathering where every week we celebrate the resurrection, yet we celebrate an actual time of him being raised from the grave. And we know that uh, this was the weekend that he was raised from the grave specifically because it was during Passover that Jesus Christ showed himself to be the real Passover. How, how many of you know the death angel was coming after you to destroy you for your sin? But because Jesus Christ was on the cross dying in your place. Somebody say in my place. See, y'all acting like you, you deserve what you got. But I'm just letting you know the only person that de didn't deserve what they got was Jesus Christ. Oh, we didn't deserve what we got because we should have been dead, sleeping in our grave. And in hell, paying for our sin, but God being rich in mercy and rich in grace and strength brought us back from the pit. And that's why uh, this is such a beautiful occasion to be able to continue to celebrate the resurrected king. Um, and we're living to live again. Uh, we're not called to exist. We're called to live. Existing means you're just here, but living means you got something that you're about. It's a mission that you're on and you got things to do. I don't know about you, but I got some stuff to do before I give my breath back to God. I'm so glad to be able to gather with the saints today. Welcome again to our visitors. Let's give God a hand praise for them. Amen. Let's give God a hand praise for our children's ministry in that great presentation. Amen. One of the things you always want children to remember is if they didn't get applauded anywhere else, they got applauded here, they got encouraged here. May they remember the church as the place where they found significance, dignity and identity and encouragement um, in their life. And so it is a blessing to have great families, but it's also to have a good church family around you and you remembering. I, can, I have great memories of the church growing up encouraging me, even when I wasn't a Christian and wasn't a believer. Uh, they treated me with great love and respect, and it planted seeds of God's love in me that I believe a part of my salvation was nurtured by the planted seeds of the love of the church. And so um, let's continue to encourage them. Fellas, next week, let's get, let's get in it. We are going, I'm looking for 100 dudes minimum on the block. Now, I want you to know that it's going to look crazy. You understand what I'm saying? That it's going to be 100 dudes. I don't want nobody, you know, I know some of y'all got your license to carry. Don't bring that that day and we're going to go out and we're going to go out and we're going to share the love of Jesus with our neighborhood talk about the manhood restore conference but also talk um, to men answer hard questions and engage them like we do every first of the month when the weather starts to be a little bit nicer we go out and do what's called an action walk somebody say action walk and this action walk is really for us to have not just a ministry of proclamation but a ministry of presence the church can't just have a ministry of proclamation. Uh, we have to have a ministry of presence. People have to see you. In order to be a light, you have to be around. 
And so this is one of the ways in which we practically do that in connecting with our neighborhood and lovingly engaging them with the beautiful glory of God uh, through them experiencing godly men on the block. Well, let's stand to our feet. Resurrection Sunday. Let's get it. We're in Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. It's up on the board. On three. One, two, three, go. Amen, amen, amen for this time that we have this morning for the message I would like to talk about from this text. Nothing is too dead for God to raise it. How many of you agree with that? Nothing in your life is too dead for God to raise it. Let's go before the Lord. Let's go before the Lord. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and kindness that knows no end. And Lord God, I'm pretty sure there are some people in here that have dealt with some things in their life that are absolutely unadulteratedly dead. And God, I'm praying that you would restore hope. No matter how bad it's been and no matter how far they've gone, you're able to exhume the body of mess that they've experienced. God, I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus that you would show us that Jesus' resurrection has great applicational faculties for us today. And so we need power. We need this strength that is spoken of in this passage to do only what you can do. So, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree that's it? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Nothing is too dead for God to raise. I remember years ago when um, I went off to college. And when I went off to college, my parents sold the house we grew up in. And when they sold that particular house, they sold it to a family member. And the family member hired one of their in-laws uh, to gut and redo the house. And so little did I know that everything, my parents left a lot of stuff in there. My parents were a little bit older, so they didn't get rid of a lot of things. They only took basically what they needed. And everything else was left in there. And, 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 and I'm off at college, enjoying myself, trying to get my little education and everything. And as I ended up going back home, the new home that my parents have, you know, my parents, you know, raised nine kids. So, you know, they moved out of the three bedroom home into a one bedroom condominium, letting me know when I got out of college, don't come home. Uh, but that, I was cool with that because I, 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 you know how you, you, you know how you talk smack when you're growing up, you're ready to get out until them bills come. But I was, I, was, I was ready to get out, and, and, but, but I wanted to see some of the things that were left, like my old, old school year, yearbooks where you get, I don't know if y'all still do that anymore, you get your people to write on the outsides of the yearbook and, you know, little crushes and things, write little notes to you and carrying on and friends and buddies and all that stuff, write different things up. You got different memorabilia from your life. So I find out that the guy who did the contracting on the house threw everything away. Now, you got to understand, I had a lot of stuff. My grandmother gave me a brass bed before she passed and, you know, just, just some, and they got rid of everything. And you, I can't tell you how angry I was at the fact that they didn't consult me before they got rid of a bunch of stuff. Because I knew that the stuff that they got rid of, it was so special to me that it was nothing I could do to get that stuff back. And I was in such a frustrated position of hurt and pain and trying to figure out how in the world do I get this stuff back? And, it, and I had to come to a point to where I had to just be okay with it being gone. You ever been somewhere in your life where you lost something that you could never get back? 
You ever been in your life where something happened to you so painful and, and so frustrating that, that you didn't know in any way, shape, or form how you were going to get it back? You, you, you may have lost your livelihood. You may have lost your energy. There's, there's all different types of things that, 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 that somebody in here can identify with, with the fact that you've lost some things and, and you don't know whether or not you'll be able to get it back. The challenge with that reality is, is whenever God, God, God may not give you back exactly what you were looking to get back. But when God restores and sets free and delivers by the death and resurrection of Christ, he may not give you what you had, but he'll give you something better than you ever had before. How many of you are living witness today that God is able to give you better than what you lost, take you beyond what you lost, and as a matter of fact, heal you from the pain of the process of the loss? That's how beautiful my God is. God is able to not just restore to you stuff, restore to you what you need in your soul, Soul, but he'll give you stuff you didn't know that you need that upgraded you beyond what you thought you lost. So we come to a passage where um, it's a famous passage in scripture. Uh, however, the book isn't famous, just this passage is famous. It, it, usually people who know the book of Ezekiel only know two things, the wheel within the middle of a wheel and the valley of dry bones. That's pretty much the extent of their knowledge of the book of Ezekiel. Um, e Ezekiel was one of those books that got angels with four and five faces and 15 wings and eight legs. And you're like, I don't know what in the world is going on. He took me out of the temple in the water filled to my knees and to my waist and to my neck, to my, y'all didn't even know what that passage is, right? Y'all like, where's that in the Bible? It's in there. Um, uh, it, it's, it's so many different things that you can experience throughout the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel is a, exilic pre-exilic and exilic book it points to when israel was wilding out and when israel was wilding out god is a good god where he's not passive towards our sin he loves you enough to not let you get away with your mess but he also loves you enough not to destroy you because of your mess that, that's that's the balance of god's love god god will spank you even though he has the right to destroy you I, I, I guess I would rather the spanking than the destruction. But the spanking is pretty hard because God, it, 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 God, God is the God of a bunch of chances. Some of y'all act like y'all don't get, I ain't give my children but one chance. God gives us a whole bunch of chances. God, God, if God, listen, listen, if God, listen, what if God didn't give you a chance? Uh, but, but when God gets tired, of giving you chances, you force him to debelt his waist. Help me today. And when he debelts his waist, he begins to spank you while prophetically speaking to you. You ever had a parent beat you and talk to you at the same time? I uh, see some of y'all ain't get beaten. Y'all got timeout. That wasn't my house. Timeout didn't exist to the '90s, and I was well raised by then. Um, but. <laughs> You know, you know, you know, but I wish they had time out in my season of life. Um, but but, 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 but I, I grew up in the belt ministry era and the long punishment, you know, and don't even ask for the punishment to be over or I'll extend the punishment era. Nobody talking back to me today. And so God in here beats, spanks Israel because Israel refuses to submit to him. And he, he sends them into captivity 
and he pulls them out of the place of promise. In other words, the, the things that they're losing in their life is not because of anybody else, but it's because of themselves. Many of us in our lives, the losses that we've experienced isn't anybody else's fault but ours. And the circumstance that we are in is because we put ourselves in it and we have victimized our disposition on our personal sin to deflect it on somebody else. When God was saying, no, the situation you're in is not because of anybody else, but it's because of you and you alone. And so when we come to this passage, we come to a passage where God is loving them by giving them hope while they're getting disciplined. Oh my God, you, you missed your shouting moment right there. In, in other words, God is spanking them, but he's giving them hope. And, 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 and so here he's giving them hope about even though you've lost this by your sin, I am going to restore you by my power. I got one, two points today. I'll give you two. If we're going to look at the reality of the fact that nothing is too dead for God to raise it. Number one, resurrections are initiated by God. <laughs> if anything is going to be raised up in your life, it's going to be initiated by God and not you. <laughs> Look at the text. He said, the hand of the Lord was on me. I, I, I like good prophets because good prophets have God act upon them, not them upon him. I, I always get scared when a prophet prophesies that they're going to prophesy as if they initiate God prophetically giving them a prophecy. But you know a prophecy has come when an interruption comes in your life. And, and this idea of the hand of God being upon him points to God's power interrupting him. It, it points to God, metaphorically, God's power and his authority and his influence over the prophet. In other words, the, 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 the hand of the Lord is God divinely interrupting so that God can do what he wants to do upon the prophet versus the prophet wanting to do their own will. Most prophets were arrested and heavy and pained and hurt because e Ezekiel saw the process of being taken into Babylon. In other words, when they wanted to destroy your people's nationality and everything, what they would do is they would take their nobles and their spiritual leaders. And what they would do is they would put them under clankers to stop them from being able to help the people to be able to revolt. But little did those structures know, little did those oppressive authorities know that the God can oversee and give power in the midst of their frustrating works that they try to put systems in place and injustices in place. But when there is a prophet from God in the midst of things and God's hand will supersede that in order to prophesy from the bottom up, not the top down. Let me give you something for free. God doesn't wait for legislation for his will to pass. Ain't nobody going to talk back. God can free you without a legislative person. God can free you without a president. God can free you without a congressman. God can free you without a senator. God can free you without a mayor. God can free you without a city council. God can free you without a district attorney. God doesn't need human legalities to overstep his power in the spirit. So we see here the glory of the hand of the Lord being upon him. 
And Ezekiel is in the midst of the exilic period. And he's prophesying, overlapping with Jeremiah and after Jeremiah. And so he's one of the main exilic prophets. And so Ezekiel's minding his business. God put his hand on him. And the Bible says something interesting. And he brought me out by his spirit and sat me down in the middle of the valley. Like the way God got him, he visionarily transports him from where he is in his spirit. The Holy Spirit, while he's chilling, sleeping or sitting somewhere, reaches into his body, snatches his spirit out and takes him to a place where he sat in the middle of what? Full of bones. It's interesting that the spirit of God set him in the middle of death. He took him back to ground zero of Israel's brokenness. He took him back to ground zero to show him the, con the spiritual condition of God's people and what happened to them spiritually representative of a valley being full of bones. What, in order to deal with things in your life to be resurrected, sometimes God has to take you back to ground zero of your hurt. Oh, ain't nobody going to talk back now. That's too painful. That may get you free. But I'm telling you right now, you can't, God doesn't raise up anything. He doesn't set you in the middle of and deal with what happened in order to get you where you are today. So God put Ezekiel in the midst of all of these bones. Can you imagine God transporting you out into a valley by yourself? Now, see, this, this, I want you to get your horror movie ministry glasses on right now. Can you imagine being taken out and being set in the middle of not dead bodies? That's some walking dead stuff, right? But we're talking about now in the middle of a valley, a dry bone. I'm going to let you know right now, if it, it, the spirit of God, because I start, Jesus walked on water, I'll be walking on bones out of that mug. But in the midst of this reality, he sets him in the midst of these bones. And as he sets him in the midst of these bones, he begins causing him to walk through the bones. He says, he led me all around them. So he's looking at the bones. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, pointing to the fact that there was so much disrespect for the experience that they had that they didn't bury them. The most disrespectful thing that could happen in antiquity if nobody buries your body. That was a very, very disrespectful thing. In other words, nobody respected what they went through. You ever went through something and you're going through pain and nobody cared about you going through it? You're the only one that cared about the fact that you went through it. But nobody, they cared so much, so little about you. They let you be exposed and didn't defend you, didn't do, do anything about, didn't try to cover you. That's what happened in the Valley of Dry Bones. The people didn't respect Israel. And so God allowed Israel's bodies to be left open in the valley to be eaten and to be pillaged upon. 
So when we look at this reality, the dry bones, of course, are representative of their captivity. But Jesus also talks about waterless places. This idea of dry bones, he could have just said bones. But he didn't just say bones, he said dry bones. In other words, he, he's using this euphemism while talking about their spiritual state, about talking about the nature of the lack of God's presence in this situation. When Jesus talks about waterless places, he says when a spirit is cast out of somebody, it goes into waterless places seeking somewhere to fill. And one of the things that you see in Jesus' ministry is what he would do, one of the most powerful things he would do is he would go into places and what he would do, he would uh, cast out demons as a sign of his ability to get rid of the universal possession that Israel was experiencing so that he can let them know their problem wasn't Rome. Their problem uh, 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 wasn't the fair, no, their problem was the spiritual state that they were in that allowed the enemy to take up residence in their life. And that's many of our lives today. The enemy has not pitched a tent. He's built a cul-de-sac in our lives. And now what is happening in our lives is our lives are dry. And our, our lives are, are, are devoid of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 we're, and we're sitting around going about our lives with all of this brokenness not knowing that we are in desperate need of transformation, that we are in desperate need of God's help. It's nothing worse than a person that's taken off their spiritual eyes and they put on nothing but physical eyes. It's nothing, it's nothing worse than a, than a Christian that refuses to see things from a spiritual perspective. Don't, what happened to Israel is Israel let their catastrophe push God away from them. I know ain't nobody in here like that. Well, God hurts you so bad. You say, I know you're God, but I don't want to know you right now. See, being in a very, very dry state makes you make stupid decisions. See, I know ain't nobody in here made a stupid decision in their dry state. I have been very dry times in my life. And I made some decisions I'm not proud of. Uh, 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 but, but, but I can't let the dryness of my situation be the reflection of my soul reflecting my situation. Because the thing about being a believer that makes you different than anybody else is any, everybody in this world experiences dryness. Everybody in this world experiences all something. But we have the ability in the midst of external dryness to be soaked in his presence, to be soaked in his spirit, and to enjoy the fullness of who he is. That's what makes you different. That's what makes you different. Then he said, then he said to me, I like this. He's playing on words here. God, God's the first wordplay smith. No MC in New York can beat him. He says, son of man, can these bones live? I like that he called him son of man because he focuses on his humanity. <laughs> and he's asking him an interesting question. He's saying, son of man, can these live? Now, God takes him back to the place of pain and asks him whether or not what he lost could be resurrected again. Let me, let me ask you a question. Do you believe your brokenness can be restored? Do you, do you believe that your greatest point of pain and mistake God can turn 
it around. Do, do, do you believe that? If, but, but, but God doesn't ask you based on what things are going to look like. He takes you to the place of what it currently looks like to see if you will respond properly to him beyond what you physically see. I'm by myself. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you right now, I, I, I've been there too many times in my life than I can count. I, 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 I've been in the place where I was like, God, I don't want to look at where I've been anymore. And God, God is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to have you not just look at what you've been because you just think it's a past thing. It's a now thing in your life, Eric. And guess what? I'm going to have you look at your current story because this is a current state of Israel. This is not just an event that happened in the past. This is what they're dealing with right now. And he's saying, do you believe that these people that are dry, these people that are broken, these people that are left field of me, these people that are hopeless, these people that are destitute, can they live again? And I love what Isaiah said, I mean, what Ezekiel says. He says something interesting. He says, Adonai Yahweh, Atah Yadatah. Beautiful. I love it. Lord God, only you know. He passes the ball to Jesus. <laughs> he, said, he said, God. Now, I like the fact that he says Yadatah. Yada is the Hebrew word to know something intimately. He says, God, you called me son of man. That's about as far as I can go, because I'm human. But you, y'all die everything. You know everything. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna defer to your scholarship. Help me today. See, sometimes you need to be humble enough to defer stuff to God. Sometimes, sometimes, listen, listen, be afraid of a doctor that's a primary care physician that's trying to give you a specialist information. That's called arrogance. Listen, even though he's a prophet and he can prophesy to things, the only way he can prophesy about it is if God tells him to say it. And so he says, listen, I'm not going to defer to prophetically speak into this until you tell me what to do. That's why he says, see, that's how you know a real prophet. A real prophet shuts their mouth until God tells them what to say. I like this. I like, I like this. He said, only you, Yadah, Lord God. He said, now, now, Lord, in your text is Yahweh, or Yahuwah. It, it, it points to God being sovereign. So he not only defers to God's knowledge of all things, he defers to the fact that God is the ruler of everything, and he can make any decision he wants to make. And I'm pretty sure Ezekiel is hopeful, though. <laughs> He's hopeful. Uh, it's, uh, looking at what I lost, looking at what I broken, and God being there with you, standing in the midst of the death. Oh my God. It, it, it's, that's a good, that's pretty much a good situation. Uh uh uh. And so he says, Lord God, you know. And last point, I'm out your way. He says, or well, resurrections. Are a supernatural response to God's word. Resurrections are a supernatural response to God's word. I love this because 
Once he tells him, son of man, he tells a great question. Verse four, he says, he said to me, after he asked this question now, can they live? He defers to him, you know. God says, all right, since I know, I'm gonna tell you exactly what to do with what you lost. He says, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now God is telling him to walk by faith and not by sight. Why do I know he's telling him to walk by faith and not by sight? Because God is telling him to speak to something without ears to hear him. Y'all missed, you get that on the way home. <laughs> the, 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 God tells him, tell the dry bones to live. Now, in my mind, I'm like, God, now, I know you know everything, but you know they don't have ears. <laughs> but what God does is helping him to know the state of Israel. Israel is so far gone, they can't hear God. <laughs> so really, even though he's telling them to hear, he's superintending their response. That was good. Y'all, help me today. <laughs> that was so good. In, in, in other words, God knows what it's like to speak to things that refuse to listen. Let me tell you something. Sometimes being a pastor, you want more for people than they want for themselves. And you be trying to tell them stuff that God says from the word and there's no response, but the call is to still say it to them knowing that God's word never comes back void. If you, I don't know if you got any children, but you ever said something to a child and you felt like you were talking to the valley of dry bones? Ain't nobody gonna talk back to me. You gotta have some kids to understand what in the world I'm talking about. Some of you are kids and know you hard-headed in a mug, right? But the beauty of this is God specializes in talking to dead things and they respond to him. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was tohu vuvohu. It was formless and void. So, so, so he's able to speak into nothing and something has to obey. Not only death has to obey him, but if you don't exist, if he says come into existence, you have to respond even though you didn't really hear him, but it was his power that brought you out of darkness. Somebody gonna get that on the way home. Help me today. I, I, remember, I remember Jesus lagging along when, when Mary and Martha wanted them to come raise their brother from the dead. Jesus said, I I'll be there in a minute. He saluted them. <clears throat> and Jesus got out to the edge of the village and they ran out and said, <coughs> Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have lived. <clears throat> what I like about Jesus is, 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 he, is he weeps with them even though he knew what he was going to do. <clears throat> See, the goodness of God is he can enter into your brokenness yet not allow your brokenness to keep him where you are. Help me today. <laughs> and so what he does is he says, he says, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And so he says, roll a stone away. Now you got to imagine what they're thinking when he stands there 
and he says, roll the stone away. I don't know if they knew he was going to do a miracle. I don't know if they believed he was going to do some type of ritual. <clears throat> but all I know is he said, roll the stone away. And then he began to pray. And after he began to pray, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And somehow, Lazarus came out of the tomb, wrapped in his cloths, and he came out and he says, loose that man and let him go. Some of y'all are in some situations right now where it's bound up and it's behind some rocks and God is telling you, I want to take you back to the place of your frustration. I want to take you back to the place of your brokenness. I want you to roll the stone away because I'm going to say something to bring it up from where it couldn't bring itself up from. I'm so glad he didn't say come forth because Moses would have got up. Abraham would have got up. Elijah would have got up. Uh, God, you got you to gotta have some control over all that power. And so if he said come forth, everybody would have got up from the grave at that point. And so here, the Savior, the Father says to him, this is what the Lord says. God says to these bones. This is what Ezekiel says. I will cause... The Lord says this, breath to enter you and you will live. Know what I like about this? God prophesies the end of the resurrection before he prophesies about the process of resurrection. Oh, I can't even go there. I ain't got time to talk about that. It's beautiful that God prophesies the end, not the process. It's beautiful how he gives you the vision of what he's going to do before he tells you the process of what he's going to do. Oh, I can stay on that all day. It's just too much. Help me today, God. Verse 6, he says, I will put tendons on you. Look at the order of this. And make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. Oh, stop there. God always raises you up from the inside out. Notice he didn't say skin and tendons. He said tendons, meaning Tendons that connect and muscle this. Whenever God does a work, he wants the inside to be restored before the outside is restored. <laughs> See, most of us want the outside restored, but we don't want God to work on the inside of us. Uh, anyway, let me, let me move. Let me move. Let me move. And then he said, I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's, that's the purpose of the whole thing. Um, because what happens when you've experienced pain is you forget he's Yahweh. And so what he has to do is he has to restore you in a way where you don't just get what you want. Because some of us are satisfied with getting what we want and not him. If God gives you what you want without him, you still don't have what you need. That, that, that's, that's, that's it. And, 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 so, and so this is real transformation that God is doing. So why? He said that you may know that I'm the Lord. God is into you knowing and acknowledging who he is. God wants us to know that he is sovereign ruler over all things and his purpose is reshaping our lives is for us to know him deeply. Verse 7. It says, so I prophesied. As I had been commanded. So he does it. I like it. Good prophet. Prophesies as he's commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise. I like it. He didn't even finish prophesying before God started working. So that he could know that your prophetic utterance doesn't get this done. 
In other words, he wants him to know that your faith in me doesn't do it. Although I respond to your faith, I do it beyond your faith, yet in, co in connection to your faith. So God began to do what he said he was going to do, not because the prophet said it, but because God had already said it. <laughs> and then it, then it says there was a noise <coughs> and a rattling and the bones came together. Now, you got to understand, these weren't organized bones. This is the good part right here. These bones were tossed like a salad. In other words, the bones were mixed all in together. It wasn't like body was just already still connected to each other. The bones were mixed in all together. So in order to put these bones together, you have to know the specific original state of each bone was before it got destroyed in order to restore it. That means God intimately knows our brokenness. <laughs> He, he so intimately knows your brokenness. And he, you, you, you ever been in such a mess, you don't even know how to clean or put stuff back together. But God being so big and rich in mercy that he knows how this mess got over here. He knows how that brokenness got over there. And he knows how to just say something. And everything just responds. And it comes all the way back together because of his might, because of his goodness, and because of his care. He can raise it all back together. All the confusion, all the mess, all the front. He can bring it. And I imagine that he's like you are startled because he's standing in the midst of restoration. He restores him. He restores the stuff while Ezekiel is standing in the midst of it. God wants you to see him putting stuff back together in your life. <laughs> he wants you to look at the process of how hard it is for you to put it back together. But how in one moment, God can give one word to your situation and raise and bring pieces back together again that you never could find, things that you never understood where it went. God can bring it all back together again by his power. And so everything came back together again. And I love how it comes back together again because the rest of the passage lets us know that this is Israel. And that God, even though they made some great mistakes, they made some really bad decisions, he is going to bring Israel back together again. But this passage is bigger than Israel because he grafted in the Gentiles. Based on Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 9, he grafted us in. But we see what happens in Revelation 20. When Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says, all, everybody's going to be reconstituted, even the lost. <sighs> but there are already those of us who are already with him. That we will meet each other in the end and we will be put back together with brand spanking new body parts. <laughs> But the question is, how did that get done? It got done through the initiation of a rugged cross. In other words, in order to deal with brokenness, 
God had to tear his son up. Now, many of you don't know this, but Jesus Christ was your stunt man. Okay, let me see if I can make a plan. Young man that was in my youth group over 20 years ago, he's a stunt man now, big old Negro, big Negro, good God Almighty, big dude. And, and he, he's, he's Luke Cage's stunt man. He, he's Luke Cage's stunt man. I saw him, I was like, dang, glad I was nice to him when he was young. But what's interesting is when you look at the show Luke Cage, he does a lot of things that, that, are, that are pretty good, running through walls and different things. But what's interesting is he has to put himself in a position to look exactly like Luke Cage. So that when you look at the screen, you think it's Luke Cage that's taking the hard hits. But really, it's not Luke Cage, the actor, because he's just the actor. Somebody else has to come in and take the pain that he isn't trained to take. And what they do is they say, cut. Ain't nobody gonna talk back. And they move the actor out the way. And they usher in the stunt man. And when they usher in the stunt man, what the actor can't do, the stunt man steps in the way because only the stunt man can do the work that the actors can't do. All I'm trying to tell you today is you're an actor, but Jesus Christ on the cross was our stunt man. He's our stunt double. And they hung him high and stretched him wide. And when they hung him high and stretched him wide, he died on the cross for my sin. All my sin, past, present, and future. I'm so glad he died. But it was quiet on Friday. Yes, it was. It was quiet on Sunday night. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. I'm so glad that he died for me and he's coming back again. Just one last thing for you. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I, I was catching a plane and I was in coach class. I was in coach class. And um, I went up to the counter, as I normally do. And I asked them, are there any seats in first class available? I, I ain't gonna front, I like to sit in first class, but I don't have the resources to pay for first class. So what I do is I check the upgrade list to see whether or not it's room for me to be upgraded. And the woman said to me, Mr. Mason, guess what I'm gonna do for you today? I'm gonna upgrade you for free. It won't cost you none of your miles and it won't cost you nothing out of your pocket. It's on us. Have a nice day. All I wanted to tell you today is Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for your sins and got up on the third day. He said there's room for an upgrade. And I'm so glad 
that on my behalf, he upgraded me. All I want to tell you is bye bye children. Have a nice day. You just been upgraded. I serve the God of the upgrade. You ain't coach whittling in your sin. Deeply stay within. But the master of the upgrade heard your despairing cry from coach class. He lifted you. He lifted you. And he gave you a place that you didn't pay for. I got to go. I got to go. Father God, we thank you. That you're the God that will upgrade us. <laughs> some of you have been through some stuff. Some of you have been through some stuff in your life where you feel like it's over. And God says it's not over till I say it's over. Maybe you're here today and you need God to upgrade you from disconnected to connected. Christ died as was preached to become your replacement. If you're here today and you want to put your confidence in him, we would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Talk to you about him taking you from disconnected from God to be connected with God through his work. Them down in your place, being raised on the third day. That's you today. Hold your hand up in the air. We'd like to talk to you about Jesus. You're already up here. Amen. Amen. Bless you for that. Bless you for that. Anybody else say, I want to put my confidence in Jesus. I want to place my confidence in Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone for salvation. You can't save yourself, but he wants to pour his love out on you through Jesus Christ. Is there one today that God wants to upgrade you from disconnected to connected? Anyone else today? Hallelujah. God, I pray for this one. Heaven rejoices big time when just one, when just one comes to you. God, I pray that you would touch her, strengthen her, and help her to have an authentic conversion experience that is connected to the glory of her profession of faith. God, we honor you and bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Y'all ought to bless God together. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.